you would please open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 7. We're almost done with Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We have today and the next Sunday, and we'll be moving on to Matthew chapter 8. But this morning, if you look at Matthew chapter 7, we're looking at verses 21 through 27. If you would please stand. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the stand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to be together this morning. We pray that you'd please send your Holy Spirit upon us to open our cold, resistant hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might truly Hear your word, believe it, Father, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Please keep the Bible open in front of you. Matthew chapter 7 is the passage we're going to be looking at closely that was just read for us. You can also find it in uh, the church bulletin on page 9 along with a little outline. Or, of course, you can follow along on your phone or whatever gadget you use these days to pull up the passage. Um, This has been a very, very interesting weekend for me. I I wanted to pray for that couple, uh, Josh and Olivia, for a couple reasons. Uh, Josh is a longtime friend of my family. Uh, Josh uh, and his two older brothers were like uh, the three... Uh, amigos who came to our house all the time growing up. Uh, the oldest, Helmreich, uh, Grayson, is the same age as my son, William. Uh, the younger, Helmreich, Austin, is the same age as our son, John. And Josh is the same age as our son, James. And so these boys grew up side by side, and we love them very much. They're very, very dear to us. And so I wanted to pray for uh, Josh as he begins his uh, married life today. Um, there's another reason I wanted to uh, Pray for him. I figured I'm about to use him and his family as an illustration. I might as well pray for him as we get started because uh, the, the wedding this weekend really was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful service. It was a, a beautiful uh, worship time. Uh, Josh is a devoted Christian, and he had uh, a bunch of Christian kids there with him, and uh, it was a, it was a 
beautiful worship service as well as a very uh, beautiful wedding. Um, so I enjoyed all that. But one thing that really struck me was uh, the young man who preached the sermon. He was Josh's longtime uh, college minister. He went to UT San Antonio, and uh, his college minister was the fellow he asked to do the ceremony. And he was very young. He's not a lot older than Josh, young man, but he did a really fine job in preaching the sermon at the wedding that Leslie and I went to last night. It was a, it was a beautiful sermon. It had the great advantage of being short. Uh, nobody ever complains when the sermon's too short. Uh, but the other thing was, it was really, really full of wisdom, I thought. Uh, it was full of wisdom. Uh, the liturgy, the songs, everything was full of Christian references. It was reverent, it was beautiful. But the young man who was preaching stood up and said, Josh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to hear all these things. It's a wonderful thing to, to say these prayers and, and to have the, the beautiful liturgy, which we, which we enjoyed. But he said, as you and Olivia... Josh's new wife, begin your life together. He said, what it really takes for a marriage to be all that God wants it to be is more than just saying the right words. It's more than, than a beautiful liturgy and all those nice things. He said, it's, it actually comes from hearing and obeying and seeking to live out what uh, God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, calls us to do. And I was thinking about that uh, as, as I was, that, that, that attitude, that idea, as I was preparing for this morning. Because I think, actually, this little closing section of uh, Matthew chapter 7 has a similar message. Uh, let me get you to look at it again. Uh, I read it for you a moment ago, but it'd be helpful if you look at it again. Uh, there are three points. You can find those, as I say, on page 9. Uh, three points. The first point is a solemn warning, and that's what Jesus begins with here in uh, verse 21. Really, I think what Jesus is doing here in verse 21 is continuing on the warning he has given the church beginning back in verse 15. Uh, here, Jesus is preaching to his disciples, and in verse 15, as you remember from last Sunday, if you were here, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Uh, Jesus, here at the conclusion of this most beautiful, most famous sermon ever preached, concludes with a warning, and it has to do with this idea of false prophets, those who come as though they have a message from the Lord, but who are in fact not sheep at all, even though they're dressed up like sheep, but are actually inwardly ravenous wolves. And so he's continuing this note of solemn warning in verse 21. He's talking about the, the false prophets, the false teachers, those who embrace that uh, false teaching. Jesus says to them in verse 21, and to all of us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that is indeed a solemn warning, and it is a very sobering warning. Uh, it's the fruit of that false prophecy, false teaching, that brings forth diseased fruit that Jesus talks about in verses 18 through 20. Jesus is saying that it's possible to use the right words 
beautiful, even orthodox words, to use those words to say them, but not to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a, that's a sobering thought that you can use all the right words, beautiful words, but actually not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus loves us enough to caution us about that reality. What he says is, uh, not everyone who says to me these words will enter the kingdom, but, he says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you do the will of the Father who is actually in heaven. Uh, that's a sobering and a very, very loving caution to you and me that it is not about simply mouthing the right words without actually seeking humbly to obey them. Uh, we've just been singing hymns. How lovely, how marvelous. We can sing those words. We can, we can say the Nicene Creed. We can say those words. And yet actually be a million miles away from the relationship with God through Christ that Jesus is preaching about. Because you see, it's more than beautiful words. It's more than orthodox words. It's about a relationship with God that is characterized by this word Jesus uses over and over and over again. And he uses it again here in this passage, Father. Father, Jesus wants us to know that the key to what he is teaching us is not simply words, it's a relationship. A relationship that is freely available through Christ. But there's no shortcuts. There's, there's no alternative. There's not a plan B. Jesus says the key to the kingdom is the king. To turn to the father and to seek to live out his will. Verse 22, Jesus carries it further, this sobering illustration. He says, on that day, and he seems to be describing this great day when, when, uh, when we will confront, Jesus will confront us. Well, we will encounter Jesus. And on that day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And then, then listen to what, what their resume is. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Well, there's a problem with that resume. Uh, it sounds pretty good. It might even fool us. That's pretty impressive. Casting out demons, prophesying, doing mighty works, all in your name, Jesus. But you see, the problem with that resume, it's all about me, 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 me. Uh, there's a desperate, deadly toxic problem in that little list and it's a it's a problem it's a it's a toxic danger that you and I all encounter when our understanding of our walk with Christ and our relationship with God is me and me and you and us it's it's about a inward looking way 
of thinking of God. It's possible to use Jesus' name to hang it up like religious window dressing and be a million miles away from the God Jesus teaches us about, the God we see in Jesus, while using his name, throwing it around, but not meaning it, not actually seeking to do the will of the Father Jesus teaches us about. So Jesus gives us a solemn warning. It's, it's not simply using beautiful and true words. It's about living out that life of relationship. It's not simply doing a, a moral to-do list. We'll misunderstand Jesus if we come up with that conclusion. He's not saying simply you've got to be a really good person. You, you can't make any mistakes. You, you can't reach that conclusion of that interpretation if you've paid any attention to the rest of the sermon. Because the whole point of the sermon has been the relationship which we have with God through Christ is not about our being sinless, our being perfect, our always getting it right, our having this superiority morally over other people. No, the relationship Jesus has described from the beginning of the sermon to the very end of the sermon is all about not how wonderful we are and how obedient we are, but how broken we are, how hungry and, and needy we are. That's the solemn warning Jesus gives us at the conclusion of this sermon. We, we do not want to ever think that on that last day, on that great day, we're going to convince Jesus, convince his Father how absolutely worthy we are. Now, the gospel is there is a worthy one whose death on the cross once and for all secures for us forgiveness of our sins, who once for all brings us righteousness, not of our own, but his righteousness. And yes, then as we seek to live out our walk with Christ, as we seek to hear his voice and live out the will of the Father, there will be fruit. He's told us about that. There will be good fruit. But we'll never point to that fruit and say, see, see, here, I've earned it. I've made my way. Aren't you lucky to have me, God? That's never the attitude that a follower of Jesus Christ can assume. Now, Jesus wants us to know, and he solemnly warns us, that it's not about saying the right things. It's about having the right attitude of heart to, to seek to do the will of the Father, humbly, obediently, faithfully, always acknowledging our neediness and our brokenness. So from there, Jesus turns in verse 24, and he says, Everyone then... Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That little word then translates a Greek word which makes it very plain that verse 24 is connected with verses 21 to 23. It's, it's the contrast to the caution in verse uh, 21 to 23. It's, it's, the, it's the assurance that gives us hope and gives us confidence that 
hearing Jesus' words, and then seeking to do them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's think for a moment about the wise man. Let's think about wisdom. Um, We certainly know how uh, blessed it is to hear Jesus' voice, to hear his life-giving word. Uh, That's a thing that every Christian understands. There's there's beauty, there's power in in Jesus' words. Um, And it is certainly right to hear Jesus' words and and to do them. We know that is right. We know that is what God wants us to do. And so we know that it is right. But Jesus wants us to know not only is it right, it is absolutely right, but it is also wise. It is wise to hear Jesus' words and do them. It's wise because it's like a wise man who builds his house on this firm rock foundation. Uh, This young youth minister, college minister yesterday was telling Josh, uh, my son's dear friend, uh, Josh, as you start your married life, as you start your life as as a couple and husband and wife, you and you and Olivia, as you begin your life together, build your life on Jesus. Build your life on what Jesus tells us about the kingdom, what Jesus tells us about his father. Build your life on that. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see that when a young couple uh, or any age couple <laughs> Uh, when a family, when an individual, when a person, when a church seeks consciously, intentionally, humbly to build our life on Jesus, on his life-giving word, on what he tells us about himself and about his Father, to build our life on that rock. Because, as Jesus says in verse 25... Life happens. Verse 25, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. You know, uh, I think every preacher feels an obligation to tell a young couple getting married, (laughs) brace yourself. Uh, You don't have to be very married for very long to realize how complicated married life is. How complicated life itself is. Because this is true not only for people who are married. It's true for single people. It's true for all of us. Life is complicated. Life is hard. And whether ours is a a big house with a lot of family and kids or a smaller house, it doesn't matter. It's what is it built on? What is it built on? Because life happens. There will be challenges. There will be hardship. Jesus says, if it has been founded on the rock, that house will not fall. It will not fall. It will not ultimately fall. It might experience all kinds of hardship. It might even look to our unaided eyes like, man, could it get any worse? Like Job, could it get any worse? But like Job... That life that is founded on the rock, however imperfect, 
however inadequate, and it's always imperfect, and it's always inadequate. But if it's founded on the rock, then come what may, whatever the hardship may be, ultimately it will not fall. It will persevere to the day when Christ returns. And like I said, with our unaided eyes, we can't always see it. Job looked like a royal mess and a dust pile. He was not a picture of stability. And yet there he was, a picture of stability. Secure not in himself, not in what he had done, but secure ultimately in his confidence in the one who had given him life and gives you and me life too. That's where our hope is. That's where our confidence is. So Jesus gives us this picture of the wise man. He gives us this picture of wisdom. Um, it is not only right to do what God says. It's not only right to do, hear Jesus' words and seek to do the will of the Father. It's not only right, brothers and sisters, it is wise. And I counsel all of you, as I counsel me and my family, that we should build our lives on Christ, consciously, intentionally. And again, in love, Jesus contrasts that wisdom with foolishness. Look at verse 26. It says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Um, it's a really bad idea to build your house on sand. <laughs> I think modern uh, builders are realizing it is really a bad idea to build your house on sand because sand is not stable. It can wash away. The wind can blow it away. All kinds of things can happen when your house is built on the sand. Not only is it wrong to build your house on sand, brothers and sisters, it is profoundly foolish it is profoundly unwise to build your life on sand. The interesting thing is, you can build a really beautiful house on sand. You can build a beautiful house. I've seen some pictures of uh, houses built on sand. and They can be very impressive. They can have a beautiful seaside view. Uh, it may feel like the perfect house. But then Jesus says in verse 27, the rain fell. It's the same list. The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And Jesus adds, great was the fall of it. It is profoundly foolish to build your life on that which is passing away, that which is unstable, that which uh, is so vulnerable to so many things, rain, floods, wind, so vulnerable to so many things. It is profoundly foolish to do that. And yet, and yet we have a whole society that's built on sand. We have a whole society that is built on that which is passing away, that which will not endure, that which is unstable. We have a whole society. You and I live our lives in the midst of a culture that is increasingly built on sand built on foolishness. Every once in a while you glimpse just how foolish it is. 
Well, Jesus loves us too much not to tell us the truth. Not only is it wrong, it is unwise to do that. And there will be a day when it will fall, and brothers and sisters, great will be the fall of it. Great will be the fall of it. Of course, you can't separate this from what Jesus has been teaching us about these false prophets, these false teachers. Um, We live in a day of false teaching, false prophets. They dress up. They look very much like sheep. They might be dressed up in business suits or clerical collars. They might have on skinny jeans. They might be wearing white button-down shirts, as I said last week. It can fool us. Jesus says you've got to look beneath that surface. It's not about how it's dressed up. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who were already beginning to follow Jesus and to hound Jesus and to criticize Jesus and refuse to obey Jesus, refuse to listen to Jesus, there were people already forming around Christ. Well, Jesus says... Great will be the fall when all the truth comes out, when when the great day when we all have to deal with our ultimate judge, great will be the fall of it. We might see glimpses of it in this life, but whether we see it in this life or not, one day it will be made crystal clear and all of that foolishness will be brought down and what will endure is that which has been built on Christ. That's interesting. That's, that's how Jesus essentially concludes his sermon. What, what we'll get next week is Matthew's assessment by the power of the Spirit in what Jesus has been preaching. But here, Jesus concludes his sermon, I guess in what we might take as a, a downer. He didn't, he didn't uh, apparently attend the same sermon teaching classes I went to you're always you're never supposed to end on a downer (laughs) but Jesus loves us so much that he wanted this word of loving caution to be the last words in his sermon he loves us that much he's had so much to say he includes here a powerful positive vision of what building on the rock looks like and what it will mean in the course of time. He includes that, but he ends by lovingly warning us, don't make the mistake that the scribes and the Pharisees are making. Don't build your life on that which is falling apart and fading away. Build your life on Jesus. Build your life on the loving relationship with Jesus' Father, which Jesus wants us to know about. Hear his voice and obey.